0: And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the phone line with us today is Dr. Paul Kingor. He is an author and professor of political science at Grove City College. He's the executive director of the Center for Vision and Values, a Grove City College think tank policy center. Dr. Kingor, welcome to our program.
1: Hey, Dan, it's good to be back with you. Thanks.
0: Yeah, um, you know, when I was growing up, We had what we called the Cold War. It was in full swing. And I remember the days. I must have been about seven years old in elementary school in the early 60s. We heard about missiles being placed in Cuba and the threat of something called communism. Uh, We had drills. We would hide under our desks seeking cover. And and it was a time of great stress for the folks. And now you're you're an expert on the Cold War. And, And today I would like to... Uh, Have us take some time, review some of the highlights of that era, what was happening, what the leadership tried to do to cope, but significantly, uh, this is a long question, (laughs) to, to, to contrast that time with the current new threat to our civilization in the 21st century that is being presented to us by radical Islam. Sure. So uh, maybe you can uh, take a stab at
1: that. Yeah, yeah. You're giving me an idea of how old you are too. So I think you're, (laughs) I think you're. I'm guessing you're about ten years old older than I am. I I remember those too. They we called them duck and cover drills. Yes. And in fact, I remember the elementary school that I went to. It was Center Township Elementary School in Butler, Pennsylvania. And I can still picture. We had this um, this incline ramp. that kind of it wasn't uh, like a wheelchair ramp, but it was just an an inclined step area, hallway, an inclined hallway, and it seemed much bigger, I'm sure, um, than it really was, my uh, childhood imagination, looking (laughs) back at it, but I remember going out in the hallway, and all of us lining up against the wall, and then we got down on our knees, facing the wall. This almost sounds like an execution, doesn't it? We got on our knees facing the wall, and and, and we put our heads right down to the bottom where the brick wall met the floor. Oh, yes. Yeah, and, and and this and this was this was a nuclear attack drill is what it was. And you know, I went home and my parents probably asked me how school was that day and I'm sure I told them about what we learned. Which oh, yeah. is a really frightening thing. I mean, I can't imagine our our kids learning that today, but but we um in both postures, that one in the hallway and underneath our desks, we put our head down between our legs and basically is, you know, kiss our butts goodbye. <laughs> is is all I can really think of, because where I was in Butler, Pennsylvania, we weren't more than an hour from Pittsburgh, right. and Pittsburgh, along with New York and some of the others, were, was one of the top three or four target areas in the United States, because it was the industrial capital of America, made all that steel at the time. So we would have got hit with a good dozen Soviet nukes. Mm-hmm. It would have taken, um, on average, about 18 minutes for a Soviet nuclear missile to arrive on on the East Coast. When one of the reasons the Cuban Missile Crisis was so scary is that once the Soviets got missiles in Cuba, that 18 minute delivery time to hit the East Coast was suddenly cut down to a mere two or three minutes. Oh, yeah if 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 even less than that. But uh, yeah, it it was it was a scary time and well, you know, while that threat has gone away, a, a Soviet nuclear threat, um yes, like you said Dan, there's still other threats that are around now and in some ways this enemy I think is even scarier because this enemy is is even more brutal and and has an even higher disregard for human life.
0: Mm, yes. Now, during the Cold War, you know certainly we were very concerned about communism, and the you know, Cold War ended. But are there still threats to us from communism to this day?
1: Well, I I would say that that the the chances of America ever becoming... Um, okay, certainly compared to the old days when there was a Soviet Comintern, Communist International, and there was the Marx, the Marxist-Leninist vision of a world revolution, which would be a, a, an industrial workers, class-based economic revolution, where different countries would be taken over, every country would have one Communist Party, they would all answer to the Soviet Comintern, um, Communist Party USA, which that was the American Party, uh, that... They would help take over America. They they called it a Soviet America. In fact, the the, the literal book on that subject was written by William Z Foster, who was the head of Communist Party USA in the nineteen thirties. It's called Toward Soviet America. You can you can look it up. You could you could find the book at, at Google Books. I've used it before in, in my classes. Um, Langston, you said uh, if we don't call it a Soviet America, let's call it a U.S.S.A. Mm. Um, he was. The the, the african-american communist communist poet so but you know that that kind of a communist threat to america is is fortunately gone mm-hmm. that's never going to happen and and i would even go so far dan to say the idea of economic communism ever taking over america i can't imagine that happening either but but what what is a very real threat and which which i think is um, is actually making great inroads, is the idea of cultural Marxism. And that was the idea of the Frankfurt School, Wilhelm Reich, Herbert Marcuse. In fact, um, if I may make a shameless plug, my, my latest book, it's called Takedown from Communists to Progressives, How the Left Has Sabotaged Family and Marriage. A, a running thread throughout that book is cultural Marxism. And, and these were the anti-West, anti-Christian, anti-natural law, anti-biblical law folks, troops, cohort that, that wanted to take down the West through a form of cultural Marxism that attacked gender, family, marriage, sexuality, and they saw the universities as the key to doing that, media as the key, and I I would say that, that right now they're having tremendous success, and so much so that they understood where we are today, which is that people would implement it without even knowing what it is. Hmm. They, they, they would implement. They'd hear people like me and think we're crazy. But <laughs> you know, that, that's the that's the level of success that they've had.
0: Yeah, really. Um, I suppose there's universities out there. Maybe we don't want to name them by name, but that um, teaches this sort of thing.
1: Oh, absolutely. And and where the where the cultural Marxists had their greatest success it was called the frankfurt school was the name of it and people can google this it's uh... there's there's not a lot on it. In fact, I did some Googling on it and checked the Wikipedia pages because it's the first thing that pops up. There's, there's not good Wikipedia pages on this. But the Frankfurt School, which developed out of Frankfurt, Germany, 1920s, 1930s, uh, they were not just Marxists, and they were specifically Freudian Marxists, but, but most of the, uh, of the guys there who were leading it were Jews. And so, because of that, they had to pick up the whole school, not the infrastructure, of course, but the men in it, and they had to flee Germany in the 30s because of Hitler. Mm-hmm. And they had to find a new home. And no one, you know, no universities were left leaning even back then, but no one was going to roll out the red carpet for, you know, fugitive freaks of Freudian Marxism. Mm-hmm. That was too radical for everyone. But there was one college that did, and it was Columbia University. Ah. In, in, in New York and, and with the pushing and the prodding in particular of Professor John Dewey you know, the founding father of American public education Dewey is honorary president for life of the National Education Association and with, with Dewey's recommendation and urging President Butler at Columbia University they gave a home and building and everything to, to the Frankfurt School and it relocated to New York and that's where Herbert Marcuse and these other individuals really started to spread their their wings. And if you read any of the writings by... Any of the leaders of SDS, Students for a Democratic Society, Weather Underground, Bill Ayers, Bernardine Doran, Mark Rudd, you know, they all describe Herbert Marcuse in particular as the as their guru, the, the leader of the new left. And, and Marcuse was the leader of the Frankfurt School of Cultural Marxism. You know, they talked about non-monogamy, taking down the family, uh, redefining marriage, redefining the family, sexuality, um, arguing for the mainstreaming of homosexuality, bisexuality, erasing gender differences. So, so that stuff was all taught to the, to the students of the 60s who are now today the tenured radicals who are teaching this to the current generation of Americans who are writing sitcoms, running Google, running Facebook. And uh, you know, th- those are the fundamental cultural transformers operating right now.
0: Yeah, it, it did sound, as you mentioned some of these names, they almost sound familiar to the names that some people in the administration currently know and and kind of like.
1: Oh, well, in fact, that, that group uh, with Mark Rudd and Tom Hayden, remember Tom Hayden is the one who married Jane Fonda, And Tom Hayden wrote the Port Euron Statement, which founded SDS, Students for a Democratic Society. Um, Tom Hayden and Mark Rudd were the founders of the group Progressives for Obama. Okay which which was created in two thousand seven if you i haven't googled in a while but i believe i believe their website was dot net instead of dot org but Progressives for obama you ought to be able to easily find it that's a group of mainly old sixties communist radicals Mm -hmm. who now call themselves progressives and only in barack obama no other democrat before him only in barack obama could they find somebody far left enough for their liking to endorse, coalesce around, and rally around as um, as their long last preferred presidential candidate for the United States.
0: That's amazing.
1: <laughs> it is amazing. It sounds like a conspiracy, but yeah. it sounds like well, I'm sure there's people who are listening saying that, that, that this is crazy. Uh, well, it is crazy, but it, but it's true. I've written about it a lot. Another book where I documented it is my book Dupe's and that's about a 600-page book. It's printed by ISI Books. It's a very scholarly academic house. It's got literally a 1,000 footnotes in it, and uh, so if you'd like to read more, I would recommend people check out that book as well. Oops.
0: Mm, dupes. Okay. Well, today we're talking with Dr. Paul Kengor, author and professor of political science at Grove City College. He's the executive director of the Center for Vision and Values, a Grove City College think tank and policy center. Uh, now, as we um, think about the problems with the Cold War and that sort of thing, um, let's let's now extend the, the discussion into the 21st century. We see some threats, literally, to civilization, in my humble opinion, oh, yeah. uh, on the horizon. Um, and these are, as you put it, almost more dangerous could you take a little time and describe that? And and the frustration—I'll I'll reveal right now—the frustration I have is that we are almost forbidden to even talk about this stuff.
1: Yes. Yeah, forbidden by a president in particular, who's a who's a product of some of those cultural Marxist influences. Mm-hmm. Um, even if he's not a Marxist himself, but you know he's he's a, he was at least influenced by that. Uh, look, Marx and Engels wrote the Communist Manifesto in 1848. Bolsheviks took over Russia in 1917, but this new threat, uh, this civilizational threat of the 21st century that you're describing, Dan, I mean, that goes back to the 6th century. I mean, that goes back yes. to the Prophet Muhammad. And uh, you know it's interesting that at the end of the Cold War, the great professor from Harvard, Samuel Huntington, the late Samuel Huntington, said, what's going to replace the, the Cold War now? What's going to be the new threat? He said there's going to be a clash of civilizations mm. where the, these old differences start to resurface. And in particular, he, he meant Islam versus the West. And you know that 's the one that 's the f- literal fifteen hundred year old battle that hasn 't gone away, and that 's not and that 's not going to go away um, communism will come and go i, I again i 'll argue that a class based economic communism is gone, although the cultural marxism is is going to hang on i think even get worse but 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 the big battle the the long one over the long haul. That um, your ancestors so far back that you don't even know who they were. We're talking five hundred, a thousand years ago, in, in Europe, like mine. Uh, you know, that that's who they were fighting, and and that's who our generation is going to be fighting. And in some ways, they're even worse than the communists. For example, the you know, the communists being atheists. If if there was one good thing about that, and it would be only one thing. Because they were atheists and they didn't believe in an afterlife, they wanted to live. Mm-hmm right they 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 didn't think they they didn't want to blow themselves up in a giant mushroom cloud <laughs> as they attacked uh, me and you Dan, right, and all of our classmates doing duck and cover drills because yes. because they thought it was just eternal darkness mm. after that mm. but 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 the current enemy believes believing in God their view of god they they believe that if they are to go up in a mushroom cloud, well, what could be a better end to that? Be, because now praise be to Allah they'll be they'll be uh, doing the backstroke in a river of wine in in Ferdos, paradise with a 72 perpetual virgin mm-hmm. doing all the things in um, the radical Islamist paradise that they were prohibited from being allowed to do in this earthly world mm. so so the, so how do you deter that <laughs> yeah. right you really don't you could try to guard against it, but unlike with the Soviets who were deterrable, um, that kind of enemy is not deterrable.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. I was reading something online just uh, this this early this afternoon um, when this was being recorded, and uh, there's a new manifesto released this month called Black Flags from the Islamic State, and, um, you know, they're bragging about how they're going to expand into Pakistan, Bangladesh, Afghanistan, but very interestingly, into India. And the Indian Express uh, picked this up, and they they said this about it. They said, uh, quote, The Islamic State's strategy, the Manifesto states, is to do hit-and-run tactics, then go into hiding, so the world can waste millions or billions of euros on 100,000-plus police investigators, and it'll shut down the major cities and lose its money. Uh, It claims that the shutdown after the Paris attack cost Belgium 53 million euros per day. And for what, they say, quote, to hunt 20 people who have basic AK-47 rifles, which cost a few thousand dollars maximum. Hmm. And then then they said future attacks, it states, will make groups in the West attack Islam and Muslims in Europe, forcing Muslims in the West to to pick up weapons and start a fight to defend themselves. Wow. And and so, that, you know, this kind of stuff is, you're reading about it, and it's easy to become like, oh, I just don't care. Put my head in the sand. <laughs> Go away. No, can't do that. And I feel that way. I don't want to care about it. But I'm afraid that we have to care about this because we have an enemy who wants to kill us.
1: Right, right. Yeah, and, and, and in some ways, I, I wonder why... They even bother using force, especially in places like Europe, because given the birth situation over there, um, they don't even have to use force. I mean, it should only take a couple generations, and this shows how radical the radical Islamists are, and that they don't have the patience for it. But uh, yeah, the, the, the Paris attacks, you know, that, uh, at least one of the ringleaders was out of Belgium. Yeah. And you know there there's uh, there, there's a group I've written about it before. It's called Sharia for Belgium, and you know they they have they envision what they call Belgistan. They they foresee Brussels as becoming an Islamic capital within within a few decades. And and to back that up, they point out that some Belgium cities like Antwerp, forty uh, percent of the children in Antwerp, forty percent of the children in public schools right now are Muslims. Yes, and, and 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 really, those Muslim children and their parents, that particular group, they've done nothing wrong. They they've immigrated legally, peacefully, and simply have had babies, right? You know, make yes. love, not war, right? And and the, and the natives in Belgium, uh, people who used to be Christians, but Belgium, like like much of the most uh, most of the rest of western europe has de-Christianized, they're not having babies mm-hmm. and and so now you look at a at a situation where muslims in Belgium comprise uh, about 25% of all religious believers in that country, but that's enough to make them the largest religious group. Yes, And, and certainly the fastest growing religious group, because Belgium, like the most of the rest of Europe, is rapidly de yeah. So, So really, you know, groups like Sharia for Belgium, you don't need AK-47s. Just have babies while the Native Europeans are not. Be a little patient, and you know this will take 20 or 40 years. Uh, yeah. the, the most popular baby name in Brussels last year was Muhammad. Wow. And 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 the, in fact the, this this is true. People can look this up. They're going to think I'm I'm making it up. The most popular baby name in London last year was not John. Right or or Thomas or George or, or anything like that. It. it was Muhammad. Wow. It was Muhammad. So so uh, again, they don't even need force. Uh, they, you know, they 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 had this phrase five six hundred years ago. The barbarians are at the gates. Uh, well, you know, right now just. You have huge numbers of peaceful Muslims who who don't who don't support jihad that are in these countries having babies, and you know that that's what will turn Europe Muslim more than and more than anything else.
0: Oh yes, yes. Well, you know, on the positive side, can you give us anything um, to think about to challenge our thinking? I know for myself. No, there is no no positive. <laughs> I know for myself. Uh, I am encouraged when Christian families um, have babies. And when I go to church and I see these large Christian families, to me that's very encouraging.
1: Right. Yeah, well, it is for me too. I have eight kids. We've uh, we've we've adopt, we've adopted two. Mm. The um, but what's really discouraging to me is when many of these families who have these kids send them off to secular U. Oh yes, where um, they are taught by the current generation of uh, cultural Marxist descendants. Uh, masquerading as, as as objective professors who are mm-hmm. who are really um, you know private fanatics for gender theory, same sex marriage, and and, and 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 abortion feminism. Yeah. And then the kid comes home at Christmas time and announces to mom and dad that uh, she's now pro choice and she's transgender mm-hmm. and she supports same sex marriage. And the parents wonder uh, what happened. Well, what happened is you sent your child to a school where. You're going to pay that pay that school uh, in excess of upwards of a hundred thousand dollars for in four years to undo everything you carefully inculcated at home in eighteen.
0: Yeah, to guarantee the loss of the next generation.
1: Right. Yeah. Right. I, I had somebody at, at my church who who told me uh that their son is going to this particular university in the middle of the state and I just kinda oh, great. And I just <laughs> I, I, I push I try to push these parents all the time to send their kids to real Christian colleges that that, that actually actually believe in the faith and they said, Oh well it's okay. He he's taking he, he's taking a class in religion. I don't yeah, know right. why. I, I I asked them recently how that religion class go, and and you know, the mom looked at me aghast and said, "It's taught by an atheist." I said, "Well, <laughs> of course it's taught by an atheist. <laughs> what else would you, you would you think it was going to be? Be, yeah. be taught by a clone of C. S. Lewis, or, yeah. or or you know the, the son of Pat Robertson? What did you what did you what did you think? You think they're going to you think they're going to let a, a devout Christian? You think they're going to let some Franciscan priest at this school come?" in and teach your kid about religion? Of course it's going to be taught by an atheist.
0: Yeah, you know, if uh, Dr. Van Til was here, he would remind us that this is why presuppositions are so vital.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's <laughs> right. That's right. That does sound like a Van Tilism right there.
0: <laughs> now, uh, in the couple minutes remaining, suppose a parent is thinking about, you know, I'd really like to uh, seek higher education for my son or daughter. Uh, can you recommend a good college to go to? <laughs>
1: Well that's a softball isn't it? <laughs> well uh, my, my institution is Grove City College. Uh there are there's a number of others out there Hillsdale um, I met let's see Regent uh, Liberty th- there there are um, if yeah, those are on the Protestant side among mm-hmm. among authentic Catholic colleges I would recommend the list that's published by the Cardinal Newman Society um, it's also published by the National Catholic Register great groups like Franciscan University in Steubenville Thomas Aquinas College in um, in, in California and, and a number of those it's interesting that I found that at the different um Catholic and non Catholic Christian colleges, um, they're more respective of the opposing faith. Mm. <laughs> That people are at the secular universities yes. where where they don't like Protestants or Catholics and yes. they don't like pro-lifers or, or, or whoever else, but uh, but but so yeah, it, 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 we, you know what, whatever your religious faith uh, in, on on the in the Christian side, whatever your denomination, you know, if if it's a Christian college, make sure that it's still a, a, a Christian college. You know the the college that you went to that you graduated from in the 1960s or 1970s. Where you remember going to chapel, and you know they had a wonderful Methodist preacher there. You know they had a wonderful uh, PCUSA Presbyterian Church USA preacher there. Well, that uh, you know that 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 school probably likely is not the same that it was thirty or forty years ago.
0: Sure. Oh yeah, things have shifted uh, drastically. And then also the importance of uh, finding a good Bible-believing church to attend and coming under right. the hearing of God's Word and sacraments observed. That's right. That's right. So uh, that'll help preserve things. Well, Dr. Kangor, uh, thank you so much for joining us today um, any last remarks? Any books to read? I know you mentioned a couple of books. Maybe you can uh, review those again quick with our listeners.
1: Oh, well, thanks. Yeah. Um, Google my name or go to Amazon, type in Paul Ken Gore, and my one book is called Dupes. That's the short title, pretty hard to forget. And the other one, the short title is called Takedown. And Takedown is on this undoing of marriage and family by communists and progressives since literally the time of Marx.
0: Hmm. Well, thank you so much. Really appreciate you, Dr. Kangor, and and thanks for joining our listeners today.
1: Sure thing, Dan. God bless.
0: For Redeemer Broadcasting, I'm Dan Elmendorf. Check us out online. We're found at RedeemerBroadcasting.org. Please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer. Some trust in the work they do. We trust in the name of the Lord our God. By His grace all the work is through. We trust in the name of the Lord our God. Sing, we, we, trust we trust in the name of the Lord our God. We trust in the name. Trust in the wealth of things, we trust in the name of the Lord our God, A name worth more than anything, we trust in the, the in the name of the Lord our God, we trust in the name of the Lord our God, we trust in the name of the Lord our God.